All right. Good morning. Was Ch- was Chad here last week preaching? Good. You got Galatians last week. All right. You got Galatians again. Open to uh, Galatians chapter one. This coronavirus is kind of a weird deal. Um, my wife was reading a little. Actually, she's been reading a lot on it. She reads it to me. It's like stop reading me that stuff. Like I don't even want, want to know this is going on. Um, and then hearing about uh, tinsel talk today. Let's just pray for uh, for China and for that whole thing real quick. Lord God, God, um, if we didn't have the understanding that you're in control of all things, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how I would live. Quite frankly, in this world, uh, all this stuff is is a reminder that this kingdom is broken, and your church and your people need that reminder. We need to hope in you, God, more now than ever. We need to hope in a kingdom that's being prepared, uh, that far surpasses this one in every way more than ever. And I pray for the church in China through this, God. And I pray for the gospel in China, that the gospel would be a bigger epidemic over there than this virus is. That the pressure from this right now, um, not just there, but 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 overflowing into other parts of the world will bring about the production of a growing church and your name being glorified in greater ways than ever before. So we just confess that, um, that we believe you know what you're doing, even though this looks um, bad. And uh, we thank you for never taking a day off of your duties. We thank you for um, being exactly who you were yesterday, that we can count on that. And we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you're bringing all things together for something extremely beautiful and permanent. And we thank you in Jesus' name. All right. I guess we could recap really quick Galatians. Who wrote it? Who's he writing to? Why is it being written? This is what we covered the first week. I feel like we've had like a role reversal because like usually I'm, I'm the like one verse dude and everybody else is like half chapter to a chapter. And like, I think Chad did one verse last week. I did like the first nine, the first week or more than that today. I'm taking it to the end of the chapter. I don't know what's going on, but that's okay. We're going to get through it. It won't be too long. I think 35 minutes. Um, who wrote this book? First three words. We're going to go with the Apostle Paul. Paul. Apostle Paul wrote this book. Okay. Who did he write it to? He wrote it to the church in Galatia, uh, which would have been uh, a collection of individual local churches, but they're all considered the church. They're one church in different places, worshiping in different places. That's who this is going to. And the reason it's being written is because the gospel that was first brought to establish these churches in the person and work of Christ is being challenged. This church hasn't been there long. And I think this is what we talked about the first week, was that um, we're kind of in the same ballgame as them. Like, it, it doesn't take long when God establishes His Holy Spirit and His gospel work in a group of people or an individual before the lies and the imposters start coming in and trying to steal and undo uh, everything that's true. And so that's why we chose this book because it shows us once again what the gospel is and how one is saved 
And you and I need to be reminded of this over and over and over again. That our justification before God is by faith alone and nothing else. And if anybody ever comes to you with Jesus plus something that you do, run. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Like it's false and it's serious. I think we've seen the, like the, the language that Paul is using uh, in this book. Like he's not messing around. Right? He doesn't like come in with a bunch of pleasantries like he does uh, in most of his books that he writes to the church. Like he's coming in and he's just throwing a fastball across the plate. Like he's just like, we got some business to handle right now. And he's, he's dead serious about how he's doing it. Why? Because he's a jerk pastor? No, because he's a loving pastor. Because he loves these people enough that he doesn't want to see them get led astray. And we talked about that a little bit too. Um, I think that Chad talked a little bit last week about um, how if Paul was trying to please man, this isn't the message he would be bringing to the church, right? And I think that Chad did a great job when I heard him in Lapine at least going through all the ways that the good news of the gospel contradicts what the world says is good news. Like if we wanted to like gain a crowd and gain popularity with what we're doing, we wouldn't be saying the things we say. Um, The gospel would sound and look a lot different than it does. It's completely inverted. It's completely backwards to what the flesh and the world believes is good. And so that right there, Paul uses for, for proof that um, I'm not about man. Like, I'm not here to win a popularity contest. I, I, like, if I was, I wouldn't be saying the things I'm saying to you. And then we're going to go ahead and pick up an 11 and take it to the end of um, the chapter. So let's, let's read the text. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me. The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a unique thing. This is an interesting thing. How does our faith come? It comes by hearing the word of God. Why does God have evangelists and, and pastors and preachers? Why does he use us? Why does he keep the church on earth? Because we're the ones who he dispenses throughout the earth to share the word of God so that other people may hear and have their faith come alive. Right? Paul's was a little different, if you remember. This dude was the biggest bully of the church. He was public enemy number one to the church. He was all about killing and imprisoning and destroying the church at all costs. And he's on his way traveling to pull some more Christians out of their home and throw them into jail when Jesus pays him a visit. Right? He's like, you and I are going to take care of some business now. And he basically cripples Paul with his glory, with his appearance, and like puts Paul up. Okay? And Paul goes away. It comes through a revelation. Paul's saying here that he didn't learn his gospel, and this is unique, by another man giving it to him. That Jesus himself appeared to him as one, as Paul has said before, who was born out of due time. He he didn't spend that time with the other apostles on earth with Jesus, walking around being taught. So he's out of due time. He was absent for that. And yet, he's getting the same thing, right? which is kind of cool. Jesus came to him. This world is apocal- This word here, Revelation, is apocalypsis. It's the same. The last book in our Bibles, the Revelation, same word, apocalypsis, 
means the same thing. So when Jesus came to John on the island of Patmos and gave him that vision, by the way, it's just revelation. It's not revelations. Okay. If you say revelations to me, I'll point it out to you because it's like one of those things that just bothers me. But it's that, it's that, so when Jesus came to John on the island of Patmos and gave him a revelation, it's called the revelation singular of Jesus Christ. This is that same word. Paul came, or Jesus came to Paul and gave him a revelation too. Appeared to him, spoke to him, um, showed him something. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This is important. This is important that he says, you know of my former life in Judaism. Because the people that are coming in and implanting and installing a new gospel here are Judaizers. And so Paul's saying, like, I know who these guys are because I was one. And I'm qualified to speak to you in the way I'm speaking to you. I'm qualified to say the things I'm about to say because I know what I'm talking about. I was one of these guys. Right? It's important. 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. In other words, I wasn't just a subpar Judaizer. I was one of the most devoted. Like I I was one of the ones that gave my life. I wasn't junior varsity. I was varsity. Like this was my life. This was my deal. This was why I lived and breathed. Which is really interesting to think about. I mean, really, really, what this says to us without saying it directly is that even right here, Paul was saved not in Judaism or not by Judaism, but from Judaism. Like, if that worked, I'd still be there. Like, this was my life. 15. This is where the sun comes out. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anybody, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James and the the Lord's brother. Um, I'm sorry. I saw none of the other apostles except, yeah, James, the Lord's brother. And what I am saying to you is true before God. I do not lie. I tell I'm telling you the truth. Okay. Then I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. There's a lot of speculation concerning what exactly Paul was doing those three years that he went away post-conversion. It is not found anywhere in the Bible. This is the only place that it's talked about. If you go to Acts chapter 9, which is where we have Paul's conversion, where the account is, and you read through there, it's, uh, it, it, it's hidden between two verses somewhere. It's just not there. It doesn't tell us what he was doing. It is interesting to think about 
what he might have been doing, but it's not super profitable for us to spend a bunch of time on, on it because the Bible doesn't say. However, I believe that we can assume, regardless of how exactly it looked, that he was having his heart and his mind changed and transformed by the Lord. Somehow. Because that's the whole argument he's making. That's the whole defense he's making here. Is that I could have gone to men who had the gospel and got it from them, but I didn't. I I stayed away from them uh, for three years. And um, in one way or another, he was being a student. He was being schooled. He was unlearning stuff that he needed to unlearn, and he was learning stuff that he needed to learn in, in one form or another. Right? And this is, this is reasonable considering that Paul's setting out to stress here that his gospel is from God and not man. This is why I believe he goes out of his way to let us know that he stayed away from the other apostles after his conversion, which is a weird thing to do, by the way, if you think about it. Like, this is actually a no-no, okay? Um, <laughs> unless I guess you're going to be an apostle. Um, integration and immersion into the body of Christ is one of the most important things that needs to happen once you meet Jesus. There's two things I tell people when they meet Jesus. Get a Bible, read it, get into a church immediately. Surround yourself with truth tellers. Surround yourself with godly people. Surround yourself with who is now your family. Like, this is something that that needs to happen. When someone meets Jesus, it is imperative that they run to other believers, not away from them. And Paul, like, makes it a point to say, I I went the other way. So I guess if you're an apostle, this is an exception. The original apostles, with a big A, had a couple of unique qualifications that made them apostles. Number one, they were picked by Jesus. We see that in the gospel accounts. Jesus comes in the flesh as a man And he wanders around, and he starts picking his apostles. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Paul was different, but he was still picked by Jesus. But it was after Jesus ascended and was glorified. He was picked by a glorified Jesus. It was still Jesus. He was still handpicked. Number two, they were taught by Jesus. We see this in Acts chapter 1. When Judas does his deal... Right? And is no longer a player, and we're down to 11, and they do this thing looking for one. And one of the qualifications of that apostle is that he was with them, taught by Jesus from the time of Jesus' baptism to the time of his ascension. And Paul wasn't there. There's something interesting in this. The original disciples, apostles, were trained by Jesus, mostly in the wilderness you might say, for a period of about three years. Paul, wilderness, Arabia, about three years. Interesting to think about before he goes and sees them. We're going to see in chapter 2 that after those three years, when he went to Jerusalem to visit Peter and James, he then goes back out for 14 years to do something, You know, I I believe he's in ministry uh, because of what we're told in in verse 23 uh, about the other the rest of the the church in Jerusalem, that they didn't see him face to face, but they heard 
They heard that this dude that used to kill them and persecute them is now preaching the gospel everywhere he goes. So he's doing ministry after he leaves Jerusalem for those 14 years, I believe. Okay? And, of course, we'll get into uh, that text next time. Now that some of the technicalities are out of the way, what's here for us? And this was a weird one because, like, <laughs> what, this, what this text is is a descriptive narrative. This is Paul's story, right? And a lot of things that, uh, one of the things that preachers can get caught up in doing is like pigeonhole, pigeonholing things into a text to make, uh, to make something out of it, okay? And of course, the way we do things here, um, we go verse by verse, uh, we flip off, wh- whoever gets uh, the text they're in gets the text they're in, like we don't like pass it or trade it in for another one. It's like this is where we're at, right? Because all scripture is, is profitable in all ways for all of us, like God has something to say and everything, but it's always hard to get a text like this that's uh, a descriptive narrative and go, okay, what does this mean for us? And so I prayed about this and meditated on this for like a couple of weeks while I was looking at my text and I was just like, God, you got to help me. Like, cause I'm either going to like do gymnastics with this thing and make it say something it really doesn't, or I don't have anything to preach. You know, we're just, we're just going to read text. So there are a couple things that I came up with that I, that I do believe, uh, don't reach too far. Hopefully they're, they're, they're pertinent for you. Um, the first one is this. Sometimes it is okay to defend ourselves. Does that sound a little bit funny to some of you? Sometimes it's okay to defend ourselves. This is what Paul is doing here. He's making a defense for himself for the sake of the gospel. And it's okay for us to do that too. It's never okay for us to be defensive. It's not okay for us to be jerks, which is what Christians are oftentimes known as. Non-believers in the world will disrespect us and they will be aggressive towards us. And they will insult us and they will insult our gospel. But we should never do it back because that would contradict the very gospel we proclaim. The church of God is not here to win arguments. The church of God is here to win souls and hearts for Christ to the glory of God. Paul is defending himself here out of concern for these people. He's not hating on them. He's concerned for them. He loves them. And that's the spirit and the intention of his defense here. And you and I should have that same spirit and intention when we go to the mat for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. He loves these guys. He's not against them. He's for them. Of course, the word defense, the word apologetics, you guys have all heard that. Apologetics is to make a defense. Uh, By the way, when we say apologetics, it doesn't mean we're apologizing for anything. Because we're not. We're defending. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what it means. Right? We get it from 1 Peter 3.15. Be prepared to make a defense. This, is a re- this should be on your refrigerator. To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, this part's important. Do it with all gentleness and respect. 
So this verse tells us what to do, and it also tells us how to do it. Okay? This is part of the reason I cannot, I will not partake in political conversations with Christians. I will not get caught up in political feeds that come down Facebook by Christians on any given day, which is all the time, because I cannot stand how Christians misrepresent God to the non-believer with the pride and the arrogance and the insults that come off in their political conversations. I do not get it. I scratch my head every day when I see these. It's so not done in the spirit of Christ. And it makes me want to crawl in a hole. It makes me ashamed to be a Christian when I see it. The sheer amount of disrespect for those who don't agree with us or see things our way is so not Christian. It's okay for us to disagree with people. But when you act like you're better than someone or smarter than someone because they don't see it the way you do, That's not Christ-like. There's no humility in that. It really doesn't matter how right we are about something if it's not done in love. It really doesn't matter how right we are about something if it's not done in love. Because if it ain't done in love, we're not doing it right. I have a whole book that tells us that. It doesn't matter what we're saying. Listen to... What Paul says in 1 Corinthians Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong. I am a clanging, a clanging cymbal. I'm a drummer. I've been a drummer all my life. I came out of my mother's womb drumming. When I was four, my, my grandmother bought me my first drum kit, and I learned how to play the drums. And from that point on, every time my parents had company over to the house and they had kids, the first thing they would do when they would come in is run up to my bedroom and get on my drum set and grab a stick. And they would start hitting a cymbal over and over and over again as hard as they could with a, with a smile from ear to ear. And, and it was the worst sound I've ever heard. I just wanted to choke every one of them. They thought they were making something gorgeous, beautiful. They were just proud of themselves. It's like the worst sound. Have you ever heard it? Just a cymbal by itself over and over and over again getting crashed. If you and I are focused on being right, engaged in debates and arguments, and there's no love with it, that's what you sound like. And you guys know it. Because a lot of you grew up in churches around those Christians that just annoyed the heck out of you. And I would venture to say nine times out of ten, that's the reason why. You're looking at hypocrisy when you, when you see a Christian, someone talking about God, someone promoting the embodiment of love in Christ, and they're just jerks. You just want to shut them off. You just want to Find the volume knob and turn it down. Paul goes on to say, If I understand all mysteries and have all knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. There's no value there. And I don't want to be nothing for God. And I don't want you to be nothing for God. You know, we sit in here and we talk about 
how we want to be world changers, how we want to go into this community and we want to reach people desperately for Christ. And this is how we're going to do it. By the love that we have first here for each other and the love that we have for them there. That is what truth looks like. That's why Jesus was so radical and so different when he came on the scene. People didn't know what to do with him. It was, it was the embodiment of truth. They're saying this true love in a way that they didn't know how to interpret it and comprehend it. And it changed the world. They killed him for it. But look at us. Who are we? 2,000 years later, we're the shrapnel from the blast that went off. You know what I'm saying? That blast is still moving through the air. And it's going to continue moving until Jesus appears again and collects what's his. Right? I want to be like him. I don't want to be nothing. I don't want what I do to be for nothing. But if I'm not doing it in love, there's little value in it. Right? I, I, I am so encouraged by, we say it all the time, like, I, I feel so spoiled that I get to pastor a congregation like this. Like, there's a lot of things we're not. There's a lot of things we do wrong. But, like, love is, is known here. Like, like, it is sensed here. It's imperfect, but, like, it is effectual. And it's the one thing that we hear more than anything else when people visit and they come. It's like, I, I haven't experienced love from a congregation like that. Like, you can, like it's dripping off you guys. Um, and... I, you know, I credit God for that, like to his glory, um, that that is uh, out of all the things we lack, um, one of the staples. Let's find out how we can excel in that, how we can walk further into that and push more into that because there's value in that. And we will win souls to the glory of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we lead with love. It's okay sometimes for us to defend ourselves. Let's just do it right. It's okay to defend who we are in Christ. It's okay to defend the gospel. It's okay to defend our story, which brought us to the gospel. But do it in the spirit of the gospel. Which brings us to number two, our story matters. You guys have heard, you guys have heard this before. I'm going to give it to you again. Our story matters. If you don't know your story, you know the one that God gave you, then you need to go home and you need to think about it a little bit. Because God gave you that testimony. He gave you that story, again, for his glory, so that people may know him, may see his goodness, may see his power. Paul's using that here, this way. Your testimony is important. You know, and, it, and it's crazy to look at a guy like Paul and be like, no, that dude has a testimony. You know what I mean? Like, my testimony doesn't look like his. Yeah, but Paul's doesn't look like yours either. Like, God's created you specifically to walk in certain things that he gave to you and not Paul, that he gave to you and not me, right? And it is powerful. It is a powerful, um, effective tool to share our story with a non-believer, especially one who knew what we were like. You know what I mean? I was that kid that uh, I was an enemy of the church. A lot of you have heard that. I wasn't just like kind of neutral like I grew up going to church, like I was against the church, like I hated everything about it, you know. 
And, um, and I was a punk at a young age. Like, I was there to just disrupt things, you know. I was that kid that when my parents dropped me off for youth group, other parents were, like, cringing. They're like, man, should I pull my kid right now and run? Or, like, why is this guy here again? Why do they keep bringing this guy here? You know what I mean? Like, I, I was. I was a cancer. I was, like, I infected the church. You know what I mean? And it's so weird that now when my parents talk to some of those people that they, that they fellowshiped with back then that knew me as a kid, and they're like, yeah, this dude, like, you know, he like preaches the gospel and stuff now. And, and they're like, that's unlikely. Like, that's kind of, that doesn't make any sense. It is unlikely. We're going to talk about that in a minute, too. You know what I mean? Uh, our, our, our stories matter. Paul's using his story not to boast in himself, to boast in God. If you, if you put together your testimony right, if you know it right, that's what your story does. It's a way to boast in the power of God. It has nothing to do with you. Right. Keep the first part short, who you were, <laughs> who you are now and um, and what's going on with you, like how it happened. Like, keep the first part short, second two parts long. The whole point is that God's the hero. You know what I mean? And, and there's power in that. I've had the opportunity many times to go to whether it's youth conferences or uh, prisons uh, to speak and to share my story. And it is it is potent. God uses our stories, not because of us, but in spite of us to make himself really big and to get people's attention. Um, and, and I want to encourage you guys to know your story so that you can share it. Five minutes, ten minutes, ten minutes max. Don't go over that. People aren't going to listen. Keep it short. All right. Your story matters. Number three, this is where we'll spend the rest of our time, most of our time. God delights in using the unlikely. No matter how bad someone may be, um, no matter how far gone they may seem to be, uh, no matter how unlikely they may seem, he delights in using those ones. He really does. I mean, I'm looking around this room and I'm seeing a few of you. <laughs> you know, Nobody is too far gone for God to save. Nobody is too far gone for God to use. No one is safe, in other words, from God's saving grace. Amen? Praise God. Like, he's unstoppable, right? Nobody's out of the question, which is such good news. No one's fully disqualified because of what they've done, you know? God oftentimes saves and uses the most unlikely people. The Apostle Paul shows us that. Extremely unlikely. Extremely unlikely that this dude would become the guy that he became. It was extremely unlikely that Paul would go from a Christian killer to a Christian leader. But he did. It is extremely unlikely that Paul would go from persecuting the gospel to writing a book, Galatians, that protects it. It's unlikely that Paul would go on to write more books in our Bibles than any other human author that God would choose. It is unlikely that this man, who had... Such a heart and a dedication and a devotion for the Jews in Judaism to then turn and have that heart and that dedication and that devotion to Gentiles. All of it's extremely unlikely. And I can, again, attest to that in my life. Let's, um, let's face it, a lot of us sitting in this room today... Um, we're the ones in life's yearbook on the page 
that said most likely not to succeed. I know I was. Um, But that's the page that God loves to turn to and write on. Like that's that's the one that he likes to put his, his signature and his name on. He opens up to that page and he signs it. How beautiful a thing is it that God doesn't do things the way that you and I do? Think about that for a second. How cool, how, how, how really, 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 really good is it that God does not do the things, do things the way that you and I do? One of our greatest mistakes or errors or challenges is that we tend to carry a view of God that makes him a lot like us. Because we can relate to that. It's easy to think that God thinks the way that we think, acts the way that we act, responds the way that we respond, loves the way that we love, rages the way that we rage, forgives the way that we forgive, gives gifts the way that we give gifts, parents the way that we parent, on and on and on. But He doesn't. He does everything that He does infinitely better than we do. Infinitely better. Though we carry some of the imprints of our our Heavenly Dad, our Creator, He is altogether different than us. Altogether better than us. He does infinitely better than our our best in every area, in every thought. Listen to what God says here. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, how high is that? It's a bit higher. So are my ways higher than your ways, and so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's our God. That is who we pray to. with the most desperate prayers that we have in the most desperate situations that we're in, with the people that we love that need Him most desperately, the most unlikely, that's who we're talking to. That's Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. In other words, logic and intellect and philosophy do not give us true knowledge of God does not lead us to knowledge of a true God. Faith in what He has revealed about Himself does. Even if we don't understand it. And guys, I don't understand a lot of it. I mean, there's revealed God and unrevealed God, right? Our Bible gives us mostly the revealed God. It's what He's chosen to reveal to us about Himself. But that stuff's head-scratching. Like, it's not stuff I can relate to and go, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get that. Most of it I don't understand. It is impossible for you to know this God, to worship this God, to follow this God, to be in a relationship with this God apart from faith. Apart from just saying, you know what? I don't, I don't get it, but like, I trust you. Like, I believe it. That's a real thing, by the way. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I believe it completely. What makes sense to us is not necessarily what makes sense to God. Do you understand that in your life? That one might help you out. What makes sense to you right now, whatever the situation is, whoever the person is, whatever it is that's going on, 
Whatever makes sense to you, what you think should happen, doesn't necessarily line up with what God thinks makes sense. That's okay, right? Not always. It should be. B.B. Warfield said, He who begins by seeing God within himself may end by confusing himself with God. This is what we need to be careful of when we're in relationship with God and we're walking with God. There's an old saying, God created man in his own image and man returned the favor. You guys heard that one before? Right? If we do this, it's not true worship. It's called idolatry. We have to be careful. We must come to understand that the goal of the Christian life is not to relate to God. The goal of the Christian life is not to relate to God. It's to take Him at His word, whether we understand Him or not. All that to say, God does not pick teams the way that you and I pick teams. When I was in elementary school, it was kickball. It was all about kickball. When that stinking recess bell rang, I was on the kickball field. And I was up against the fence where everybody else was because I knew that I wasn't cool enough to be a captain. The captains would be the ones that were most popular, most talented, most skillful, most athletic. And when they started picking their teams, guess who they would pick? The most popular, most skillful, most athletic, the ones with the most ability. But when God gets up and picks his team, he says, who's not popular? Who has no skill? Who has no potential? Who's the most unlikely to come out here and win a game for us? And a couple hands go up. And he says, okay, you, you, and you. He works from the bottom, the other way. That's how God does things. I can admit it. I really don't care. That's why I'm here. God loves the underdog. God loves the most unlikely people that are rejected over and over and over again in this world. Paul does not belong there. I do not belong here. And you do not belong where you sit before a righteous God. I have been an underdog all my life at everything I've ever tried to do. I've always tried to fit. I've always tried to belong. I've always tried to be liked. And it seems like no matter where it was or who it was or what it was, I would fail. I would get found out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always thought there was something different than me, than other people. And, um, and then here comes this thing called Christianity, which says, do you suck at life? Do you, do you, do you, are you, like, horrible? Are you horrible? Are you horrible at righteousness? Are you horrible at relationships? Are you horrible in your, in your thought life? And I had to say, yeah. And he said, you belong with me. That's what Christianity is. He takes the underdogs 
the most defiled ones and lines them up against the fence and then calls them off of it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You feel the same way. It's so weird that I had to become a full-on sinner and know it to finally belong somewhere. That's just a bizarre thing. But I praise God for that, like hallelujah. Thank you, God, for making me an underdog that's never been good at anything. You know, I see you. There's going to be a game, a different kind of game that happens when we all go face-to-face with God. And that game's going to be called Are you righteous? And we're all going to go up against that fence. I want to invite you today, if you know that you will fail at that game, to come over and be chosen by the best captain. See, he doesn't, he's not compiling the dream team. He's actually like compiling the bad news bears. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? So that when the bad news bears like, like win, everybody knows it's God that did it and not them. Right? They know it's his ability. Right? I am nothing without him. That's Christianity. I am nothing without God. I desperately need him and I know it. And he has invited me to be on his team so that he can make up for what I lack and he wants to make up for what you lack, which is righteousness. You will fail at that game if you try to play it. You need Jesus. And Jesus is talking to you right now. No, I'm not Jesus. I don't mean it that way. The message is his. Forgiveness is offered. God is picking people that don't belong on his team and calling him into his team. Well, you come. Well, you come. I need it every day. Not that I have to be saved every single day because I can't. What Jesus did, he did once and for all. But every day I've, um, I've got this thought process that's constantly saying, no, you're really not supposed to be on this team, really didn't want you on this team, you're not good enough to be on this team, you know what I mean? And, and this is where I need to like put away the idea that God thinks the way I do. Like he's for the underdog, he's for the unlikely, he does the unlikely. That's why I belong here. That's why I belong here. I am a sinner that has nothing. Christ is all I have. And when that game starts in eternity, he's all you're going to have. Or things are going to go bad. Hell is real. If it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have went to the cross. Many of you have heard that hell, the problem with hell is the absence of God. That is not true. The problem with hell is that God is present and you're on the wrong side of him. That's the problem with hell. Please come and receive the one who's accomplished everything that you need. 
so that you may live. So that you may live. If that sounds good to anybody, I'll be up here afterward. Come let me know. Salvation is not so that, again, we can boast, which Paul is not doing. Salvation and the workings of God in our life is all so that God can be glorified through it. Do you get that? It's our last verse here. They were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Them seeing who Paul used to be and what happened to him caused them not to glorify Paul, but to glorify God because they knew that he was unlike. They knew that God, that Paul couldn't do it. They knew that Paul couldn't clean himself up, that he couldn't have a change of mind like that. And it caused them to glorify God. And that's the point of all of it. Is that we sing the praises of God, both the church and the world, both the believer and the unbeliever. That's what's going to go down one day. There's going to be a huge worship session. And everybody's going to be involved. They'll just have different seating. It's all for the glory of God. Like I said, I've, I've gone too long. If, if, if there's anybody who has any questions about anything, today's the day. Today's the day. Like, we don't do that much. Like, I, we don't plead with people much here. Like, we kind of, theologically, I think the way we go about it is we throw out a pure gospel and we let the Holy Spirit cause the response, which I think is biblical. But you know what? There's also times where we just need to implore people, too. Like, because hell's real. Because, like, you have no idea. What's going to happen 10 minutes when you walk out of this building or tomorrow? We had a dude. There's a dude that's my age, 46 years old, a good friend of ours. Okay, The dude uh, did like this um, this weird like uh, Krav Maga or something like that. It's almost like a, it's like a real technical like martial art. Like the dude's a bad boy. Like he owns a studio. He's in, he's in the best shape of anyone I've ever known. Right? Get a call two weeks ago. Dave's gone. What do you mean Dave's gone? Dave's gone. He dropped dead. He was working out in his studio, 46 years old, had a heart attack, gone. Boom. Home to be with the Lord. So when your doctor tells you to go work out to help your heart, think twice about it. I'm just kidding. That's, the, that's the moral of the story. No, I'm just kidding. I had to get that plug in. You don't know. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Don't bank on something that you have no control over. You have been warned. And you have also been invited to worship the King and to be a child of the King. God, thank You for choosing unlikely people. Thank You for sealing us up. Thank You for clasping us in Your hands so that we cannot get away. Thank you for doing things in a way that's different altogether than the way we would do them. Thank you for being faithful, dependent, trustworthy in every way. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. 
that allow me to escape the fires of hell and be rewarded with all good things in the heavens forever makes no sense. But I believe it. And I thank you. To the glory of your name. Amen.